business owners. Today we are going to spend an hour or so with the amazing John Blake, also known as Blakey to his mates. Now today our goal as always with me Jay Green as your host is to extract the gold from John and bring you some tangible tips about how you can grow and scale your business but also we'll share some stories about surf and spaghetti leg ropes and 12 foot conditions in West Zimbabwe, all the way through the trials and tribulations of building a business, bouncing a newborn baby on your knee. So today, let me tell you a little bit about John. John has over 30 years experience growing sales-based businesses and teaching salespeople how to sell. He has worked with some of our favorite industry brands like Oakley, Rip Curl. He was the man behind helping Arnett go from, I think, about three quarters of a million dollars to about six million dollars. So, you know, just a little bit of growth built purely around how to engineer the sales process. He is moved from being a rep, which he got picked up by accident, like when he was 17, surfing, getting sponsored and thought, hey, being this rep thing, I could get some free bags, some free towels, free sunnies, sounds great. And he turned that into a career where he has worked with industry giants like West Farmers, as well as I think Bank West I saw on one of your uh, landing pages as well. And really just harnessed this career of accidental stardom, really. So John's going to share with us some some tips today. But John, what where are you? What have I missed out in this uh, in this bio? Um, look, it's it's been it's been a really it's been a really interesting ride. Like there's one of the things that I've that I've really enjoyed so much about it is that all all the different types of businesses that I've worked with and all of the different products that I've had to to learn to help these companies to actually be able to sell them. You know, like, so at the moment I'm working with this company that does fertilizer. So I'm having to learn about all of the different elements in fertilizer that make um, like plants grow. You know, it's, <laughs> it's you know, like welding equipment, software, like it's it's just incredible. And, I, and there's no way that I would ever have been exposed to any of that if, if I hadn't had uh, you know taken the decisions that I that I that I have and, and gone in the direction that I have so it's um, yeah it's been such an interesting way to sort of spend your working life is you know learning about all these different products and you know helping people to sell more of them so um, it's I'm stoked to be here thank you I, I don't have anything else that I can add to that <laughs> Very good. Uh, awesome uh, I think what I what I love about the synergy between our backgrounds is I shared with you that when I first got into recruitment, I was actually 13 years in specifically sales recruitment, but my very first client meeting that I was going to see by myself was Billabong. Um, yeah. but, but by being in the sales industry and sales recruitment and you in sales training, what mm. you said there, the opportunity to get inside so many different types of businesses and learn about the different distribution models, the different sales structures, the different ways that a thing that things are done and the ability then to be able to take knowledge from one industry that could be really, really obscure 
and the learnings that they have had in that industry apply it to something completely different because it's a new way of thinking that can completely shatter and, and kind of be a blue ocean for some of those brands in that field. Because often we we see in industries, people just keep doing or trying to do this a little bit better, but the same thing that the competitor's doing. And when you, when you really shatter that and go with something outside of the box and that's not been done in that field, it's, it's game changing. Can you give us any examples where you've, where you've taken something like, I don't know, from your welding or your fertilizing clients knowledge or structure of how they do sales and applied it to something completely different? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you should mention that because there's there are so many different examples of that, and, and probably the the most I, I think the the most or, or the best example of that is, and and I'll so I'll give you like a, a great general example, and then I'll give you an example that I've experienced myself. Right, so everybody is familiar with drive-through fast food. <laughs> Right? Everyone's familiar with that. But, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, especially if you've been a rep, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's familiar with drive-through fast food, right? And and if you were to ask the average punter, if you were to say, you know, where do you think that idea came from? They'd, they'd all say, oh, it came from the fast food industry. Well, that idea actually came from the banking industry. The first industry to ever do drive-through anything was the banking industry and they did it in the States. And and it was the fast food industry that copied that idea and applied it. And yes. now if, if you look at how massive that's become, like, you know, the, the drive-through component of a, of a fast food chain is just, you know, huge. I mean, we've um, over the years done a little bit of work with McDonald's and, uh, you know, seen the numbers. That's it, delete, the, get off my podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was actually... How did you get through the... Who screened you? Who screened this guy? My, um, my ex-business partner um, was... He was, to be fair, it was actually his client. But but he... But we, you know, obviously talked about it. And, um, yeah, it's 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 incredible. Like, And so that's a that's a classic example. The, the, the specific example that I can share with you is I, I, I took a a strategy from the direct mail industry and applied that to one of the clients that I was working with in the surfing industry that what had happened, they were a sunglass brand and they were doing really well, but while they were perhaps not paying as much attention as what they could have been, one of their competitors had um, had dramatically increased their client base. And they were like, hey, we, you know, we're not playing on the same playing field here. You know, they, they've got so many more accounts than us. We need to increase the amount of accounts that we've got. And so I, I took this, essentially, it's like a contact marketing idea from the direct mail industry. And we applied it to this company that wanted to increase the amount of, the amount of accounts that they had for, for this sunglass brand. And we were able to increase their client base by 30% in 90 days using using this particular strategy. Wow. Uh, in, in fact, it was, it was um, but they wanted to open 60 accounts in 60 days. So, so we did that, we achieved 60, in, um, you know, we, we called it like the 60 in 60, um, you know, uh, campaign. And then, 
it went so well that they that they we we made it the ninety and ninety. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> we got the sixty day mark, and it's like great, sixty accounts open, brilliant. And then we now, then we ended it to ninety, and they were able to literally increase their account base by by thirty percent in ninety days using this particular strategy. I love um, that. Yeah, so it's pretty cool, and, and and it's interesting that you say you know look people competitors. It, it's called industrial myopia. You know, like they just look at what their competitors are doing and they go, oh, maybe we should do that. And and that's fine, but it's only ever going to give you incremental growth. It's yeah. it's never going to give you something that's 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 like a you know game changing um, exponential type type growth. So it's only once you take those things that that have worked in other industries and and, and apply them um, that you really start to see the big the big licks of growth that people, you know, that people in business are really wanting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's such a, such a great point that you bring up for sure. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just people, I find a lot of people just like study and study and studying what their competitors are doing. And it's like, don't worry about their doing, like think about what you can do authentically. Think about how you can create a blue ocean, how you can get out of that bloody red sea of, you know, and, and, trying to compete for the exact same market what can you do to think outside of the square and even create your own your own niche or your own i think you talked about this before like your your own lane as well like how can you how can you do that um so with with that then what's what's your strategies how do you how do you suggest to businesses to maybe look at their um sales go to market strategy or like they're they're thinking around this. How do they how do they break free free of the being myopic and and look at the bigger picture and and because it can be scary, right? To to take a leap of faith. I'm sure it was scary for uh, your sunglasses clients to go. You want us to do what a direct mail campaign does, <laughs> like a direct marketing company does. Like what? That's crazy. And it's probably there's probably a bit of bucks behind it. There's a there's a big leap of faith that's got to be taken there. What's your suggestions to business owners to be able to make that leap and, and bridge that gap? Well, the, there's, there's a couple of different places that you can look. I mean, the, the biggest problems that, that clients come to me with that I can solve, are they are not, they're not controlling the message that they send out into the marketplace. So because of that, they are being perceived as the same as their competitors. So they're, they tend to feel commoditized and they're getting smashed a lot on price because no one sees a point of difference between what they do and what their competitors do. Mm -hmm. So we can fix that to, to a large extent by changing and, and getting more control of the actual message that they send out into the marketplace so that potential clients see them as an opportunity as opposed to their competitors. So that's the first problem that clients come to me with that I can solve. Mm -hmm. The second one is they want to connect with more of their ideal clients. So, you know, it's like, where can I find more of the 20%, you know, it's the old 80-20 rule. Where can I find more of the 20% of the clients that we already deal with that are delivering us 80% of our revenue? How can we get in front of and convert more of those people into paying clients? So that's the second client, uh, second problem that clients come to me with that I can solve. And we use that direct mail strategy that I just talked about with the, with the sunglass uh, client to do that to get the attention of their ideal clients, and then once we've got their attention, we can call them and get in front of them and, and convert them. Do and you, then the do last, you think the new, do you think the new generation know what direct mail is? Well, this is why it works, right? 
I know. Old school. Yeah, right. So if you if you look at and look, you know, so many people, you know, like we, you know, we put the information together that we're going to put in the in the mail, and and so many people, especially you know, like some of and people, young, that's that's the mail that comes in the mailbox. Yeah, and yeah. and you open it with your yeah, hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you know, you especially when you're talking to some of you know some of the of the of the younger like marketing managers, and and we talk about the message that we're going to put in in the in the box that we send to people. And they're like, oh, can we just email it? He's <laughs> like, and it's like you, you missed, not- did you miss the whole point of everything we've just talked about? Yeah, it's like, you know, like you're missing the point, you know, because the, because the digital path to your, to your ideal client, right, if you look at it, like, and I, I call this um, message fragmentation, right, because you've got, Facebook Messenger, you've got LinkedIn Messenger, you've got Intranet, you've got WhatsApp, you've got text messages, you've got email, you've got, you know what I mean? Give me, me. I'm having an anxiety attack. I'll be down here yeah, rocking yeah. and crying. Just thinking about it gives everybody anxiety. So true. The digital path to your dream client is in absolute gridlock. You know, it's it's really difficult to to get through, and but the offline path to your dream client is you can fire a shotgun up up that street and you're not going to hit anyone. There's just yeah. no one there. So, so if you send something something physical, like, like you know, in the mail, and it lands on their desk, well, first it's going to take up space on their desk, but you're you're going to have no competition at all because no one else is going to do it. They're not going to send them stuff. And if you know, and, and if it's if it's relevant, and if it's personalised, and if it's and if the information's great, which you know, obviously, if you do do your homework right, you get the message right, um, the information will be great, and, and it will solve some of their problems. Well, then, well, now you've got their attention, and when you've got their attention, when you call, and and their and their executive assistant says, oh, you know, it's a, it's Jade Green calling, they're going to go, oh yeah, put it through, you know. So that's the that's the you know the the one of the key things that, that we've been able to do. And then, and then the third problem is, of course, people have got lead flow and they want to maximise the amount of leads that convert into paying clients. And that's, the, that's really the Stop third. Stop the leaky leads. That's it. That's it. So, so within that, there are essentially seven different leverage points that we can look at. We can go, okay, so if you visualise it, in fact... Um, <laughs> Probably the only LinkedIn post that's ever got more than three likes <laughs> is I did this drawing and I, I did it on like a Thursday afternoon. I just I drew it and it's a bucket and it's got all these holes in it and there's all this water leaking out. <laughs> and, 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 and each of the each of the holes has got like a stream of water coming out of it. And it, and I've named each of the streams of water. Uh-huh. And. And this thing went viral. It's got like 480 comments on it. It's been shared like, you know, it's like 35,000 views. And it just resonated with everyone because everyone realizes that lead gen is, is, is now commoditized. It's easy to spend money, get leads. But there's Yours not sounds many- like something that was way a bit more tangible than my one that went viral. Mine was meditation is for pot smoking hippies and airheads. Yeah. <laughs> And I woke up the next day, and it's like forty-eight thousand views. And I was like, "Wow!" That it was. It was about manifestation and how meditation and segment intending. Like there was a bit of a story to it, but 
I, I feel like yours probably <laughs> you know, on a different level. To I was just a like it, like it literally t- it took me eight minutes to draw it. I mean, it, you know, full disclosure, I have a background in graphic design and illustration. So, you know, it took oh, me eight, cheap. Eight, eight minutes to draw the thing. And I just posted it up, just totally not even really thinking about what I'd written or whatever. And then same thing. I woke up the next day. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> this is something that people need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But those seven holes are the things that we look at. So we say, you know, so one of the holes is is just engaging the lead to start off with. One of the holes is how we actually talk to them, whether, we, whether we're disqualifying them or whether we're qualifying them. One of the holes is actually presenting... Can I just touch on that for a second? Disqualifying yeah. them would be equally as important as qualifying them, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, because you've got... Some people have got are getting absolutely hammered with leads and they end up sending somebody or you know making an offer to somebody that they shouldn't be making an offer to and then that that and then that destroys their conversion rate because it's like hey why are you even making an offer to this person when the, when it's not even a fit this isn't going to be the right thing for them mm-hmm. you you're much better to recommend the, the an appropriate solution to that person so that at least they feel served and 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 you're pointing them in the right direction plus we live in this world where somebody that's never even done business with you can go on Google and write you a one-star review if they felt like they were neglected and that you didn't look after them. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's just a waste of energy, right? It's just a total waste of energy. It doesn't serve them. doesn't serve you. doesn't serve the salespeople. Time- exactly. And, th- and there'll be times where you, you want to qualify um, more because you probably got less leads. And then there'll be other times where you want to disqualify more because you've got more leads. So it's, it's, you know, sometimes you need to tighten that funnel and sometimes you need to loosen it off a little bit. So, so you know, you need to be adaptable in that regard to, to make sure that you've, you know, that you've got all of that happening and, and it's, you know, and, and you're actually making sure that you're letting the right people through effectively. Awesome. You know, it's, it, it, often the analogy is, you know, it's like the velvet rope at the front of the nightclub, you know. Who, yeah. who do you want to let because you don't want to let the wrong ones in. <laughs> no, I have a funny story about how I convinced a man to open the velvet rope for me to go and dance with Snoop Dogg, Grant Hackett and Leighton Hewitt. I don't know how I convinced them that I was the one to, right one to let me through, but hey, I put it down to the sales technique. <laughs> <laughs> there, you go. there you go. So, so hole number so four, the- are we up to hole number four? Yeah, hole number four is actually presenting that plan. So often people will they'll, they'll talk to somebody, they'll take a whole bunch of notes, they'll they'll put a proposal or a quote or a or a fee outline or you know I mean the the, the whole semantic thing is a is a is a whole other separate conversation which we can talk about <laughs> later. But, but you know putting that together and then they just email it. So there's a there's a, a massive hole in the bucket where if you present that to your to your potential client, you are so much more likely to actually convert that particular sale as opposed to just attaching it to an email and pressing send and at the bottom of the email saying if you have any other questions please don't hesitate to contact me <laughs> so so that's yeah. a leverage point in and of itself right do and you then, think uh, you can present a proposal via video like uh, yep. a loom or a zoom without the other person being on the other end if it's a time yep. thing or you don't want to get caught 
just objection handling. No, um, no it's, and that's a that, that's something that I teach because there's like there's good, better, best. Best is is I come around and we go through it face to face. Over a beer, but, right? Pardon? Over a beer. I, preferably. <laughs> Right, so that's the best. The best utopian outcome is, you know, is, is I put the pl- the proposal together or I, the plan together. I come I come over and we go through it and I show it to you, and and we go through it together. Right, that's the best case scenario. But we live in this world where sometimes that's not possible. Right, so the next best scenario is we get on Zoom and I present it to you on 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 Zoom, uh, or I email it to you first and then we and then I walk you through it while we're talking on the phone. And then the the next best scenario is um, is if so like I've got one client where the majority of the people that they're dealing with they, they sell a pneumatic um, torque wrench. <laughs> it's another weird and wonderful product that I've had to get to know over the oh, years. Oh, don't so- worry, I, I run an hydraulics engineering training organisation as nah. part of part of my. <laughs> Part of what I do, so don't worry. I yeah, often yeah. got often got a flange or a valve, and we're talking yeah, about yeah, pressure exactly. and yeah. maybe a and reaction how, arm. A reaction well, arm. A reaction I like arm to say, and uh, how to handle your hose. Yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, some of these some of these procurement managers they don't hang out in the office, or if they do, it's for very small, you know, things of time. So. One of those guys, uh, what we did with those guys is that we would put their presentation on a Loom video and send it through. Yeah. And they went from scratching their head, in fact, you know, in total bewilderment going, especially during the lockdown. In fact, we did this whole project over the lockdown period, you know, that, that three months where no one was able to go anywhere. <laughs> and, and they went from scratching their head in total bewilderment going, how are we going to make sales if we can't get on site to actually making sales through sending Loom videos. To, to potential clients. So it was Love a it. huge, huge shift. We had a similar situation because we had all of our trainers going to sites, to mines and to do the physical demonstrations and a lot of the um, training and we had to change. We've, we've converted nearly most of the business over doing blended now so that we can squeeze in the face-to-face practicals when we can get across borders or yep. get into mine sites, but the students haven't been left hanging and the people can actually upskill. It's such an opportunity, right? Rather than people, you got all of your engineers sitting at home twiddling their thumbs, well, they can be upskilling in their downtime. So it's it's an opportunity to look at that as well, but you've got to meet them where they're at, is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, these guys were all ex-heavy um, diesel, um, heavy diesel mechanics. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, half of them barely knew how to turn a computer on, let alone uh, record a, a Loom video. So, so you know, it, it took us a good 90 days to, to, to roll the whole thing out and get everyone comfortable and, you know, hey, go off and do a couple of these, send them to me, I'll critique you on them. Um, and then, you know, a couple of the guys really picked it up and started doing it really well. And then everyone else got the confidence to, to start doing it also. So, um, so that was massive. So that's um, leverage point number four. Um, sorry, leverage, leverage point number five is how you present it. Leverage point number six is follow up. So that's a that, that's huge. Um, what people don't realise is that eighty percent of sales are done after the fifth follow up. Um, I've been doing I've been training sales teams now for seventeen years, and I can tell you that the average number of sales people, the, the average number of times that a salesperson will follow up with a client that they've already sent a proposal or a quote to is two 
because they don't want to seem like they're the desperate one yeah. chasing up and it's like yeah we always had the old saying every noise closer is one step closer to a yes correct correct um, and if you can orchestrate it, even just a micro commitment is 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 one step further to a yes. Mm. So, or a head nod. you know, mm-hmm. what, mm-hmm. you know what, one of the best things that you can say to somebody who's not ready yet is, so when do you want to talk about this again, if at all? You know, when would you like to continue the conversation? And then they'll tell you, and then you're ringing them when they told you to ring them. <laughs> Unless they tell you to fuck so, off. <laughs> well, they could tell you to fuck off, but but I tell you what, a, a no shits all over a maybe 100 percent. because you're not wasting time and energy and that's one of those people that you is not ready we're not going to buy the tire kicker that you shouldn't have in your yeah. follow-up system anyway yeah look I, i've got clients with 46 million dollars sitting in proposal sent maybe of, of, of their crm i've got clients with seven million dollars worth of um quotes sitting in their proposal sent column the, the damage was done way before I arrived, but that's huge. You know that that you know when you consider because the other piece of data that's that's that will blow your mind on this is that only tw- on average fifteen to twenty percent of people are going to buy within the first ninety days of 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 inquiring about a particular product or service, but another thirty to thirty five percent of people are going to buy. Uh, within the 90-day mark and the two-year mark. So there's actually more people that are going to buy after the 90-day mark than what are actually going to buy before the 90-day mark, on average. So just having a way to stay in contact with people, you've got a crack at all these sales that your competitors are are just not going to go after because they're just going to go on to the next lead. You know, so you think about it, the average salesperson is like, hey, you've got 20 leads sitting in the proposal sent column um, that, that, you know, that aren't ready yet, or you just got five new leads in your inbox. You know, which, which ones are you going to contact? Yeah. And you know when, you, I mean? when you actually think of it, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's an, what's it's the fear a, around it? What's, what's, the, why did, like, how do you how do you get a salesperson over that fear, right? Because it's kind of that it's it's that fear of rejection. If they haven't if they've been rejected twice or already, then how do you go back in? Like how do you build their resilience? What's the tools that you're giving people? Well, we 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 give them a framework that that I actually came up with myself because because you know we talked about my background, we talked about all these clients that I started working with in action sports. And, and for the first four or five years of the consulting business, we were fine, you know? I, it was just like ringing people and saying, hey, we're putting the band back together. Because I'd, you know, I'd, 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 I'd trained all their salespeople on how to sell Sunnies. So they were like, yeah, Blakey, come back in. You yeah. know, like, help us to sell some of this other stuff we've got in our shop, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it was fine, you know, that, that bit was, it was fantastic. But at the five year mark, a couple of things happened. The, 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 the surf market went into this rapid decline, which, as you, I'm sure you know, it, it kind of stayed for about you know 10 to 15 years. If 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 um, uh, you know if if you look at what you know what's happened, it's only really just come out of its shell again because of mm. the fact that no one can go everywhere, everywhere, anywhere, and people <laughs> are starting to starting to get 
turn back onto surfing because it's one of the few things that you can do on your own. And it's like, yeah, during COVID, every man and his dog decided to go back. I know. Everyone that had ever owned a surfboard in the last 20 years. (laughs) It's going to dust that off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel bad because I was one of those. I I was before COVID, but I did nearly 17 years uh, out of the water. And yeah, found my feet again, found my, found my, my wetsuit again instead of my pinstripe suit. But oh, like surfing on the Gold Coast during COVID, tell you. Oh, it's ridiculous. But it's ridiculous. So, so that at that five year mark, all the, the, you know, the, the surf companies all just battened down the hatches and just went into hibernation. And, you know, no one wanted to spend any money. And so we were left in this, because at the time I had a business partner and we were left in this situation was like, well, shit, what are we going to do now? You know, who, who are we going to, who are we going to sell to now? And we didn't have this marketing um, machine that was spitting leads out at us. We hadn't done that. You know, the business was still pretty new and I, and I had all these warm contacts I'd go see. So whenever we did get a prospect, we had, you know, I had to work very quickly, work out a way that I could keep in touch with that client or with that, that prospective client in such a way that I would be proactive, that I would be continually adding value and that I wouldn't piss people off to a point where they wanted to block my number and take out, take out a restraining order on me. So I had to come up with this system um, out of necessity and that's what it is that, that I that I teach in in that um, that follow up framework. Can I be a you bit know, cheeky? Do... Sure. Do you reckon any of them would test you? Because if you're uh, if you're throwing out a lead to a sales training organization and you say yes the first time round, you're not really seeing what their gumption is and what they're made of, are you? I'd be saying oh, no just to see what your follow up is. <laughs> people do that all the time. Like I I, I have people and I can tell when they're doing it. You know. <laughs> You have you have no intention of hiring me at all. You just want to see what my process is. <laughs> yeah, that uh, happens, right? That happens. No, I don't have intent of hiring you. I just want to know that you've got the process. To do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but that can be huge because again, like your competitors just don't do it. You know why don't they do it? Um, fear of rejection. In in most cases, it's because they're spoiled for leads. You know because mm-hmm. they know that tomorrow there's going to be another five to ten leads that rock up in the inbox. So, you know, I'll just deal with the new ones and, you know, the other ones, you know, if, if they want to come back to us and buy something good. But that's, that's not how them. people... <laughs> yeah, well, it's not how people buy. Yeah. You know, it's not how people buy. So so that's a huge one. And then the the seventh one is re-engaging people um, and, and the, really that the, the focus there is retaining them, uh, reselling them and... Um, and upselling them. That's, so that's another leverage point. And, and that can often be adding an offer, like an ongoing offer to a product suite that doesn't exist. Or, or, or it could be offering a premium version of what people do because 20% of any group of buyers are gonna choose the Rolls-Royce option because it's, because it's the best. Just because. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so if you, so it's like, you know, Toyota have the, you know, the GX, the GXL and the Grande. Well, they know that 20% of people are going to choose the Grande because it's the... Because it's the and, Grande. And if, yeah, and, and if you ask that person, they would always say, I always get the best one. You know, I always mm-hmm. go for the most expensive. I always go for the deluxe option. 
Oh, there's a good point there. There's a good point there about um, the customer avatar and really understanding your customer and, and understanding if that's what they are. Like we used to ask questions like what, what sort of, when they fly, who do they fly with? And are they a member of, not so relevant now, like a lounge though, because you can get a yep. gauge of what their appetite for spending is and, and where they want to see their, like they position themselves within the market. Like if you, yep. if you gave them just a cheap price, they sometimes they'll just discount you because they, they don't do cheap. Yeah, I oh, absolutely. In fact, um, it reminds me of a, of a, I had the most interesting set of, of circumstances leading up to this, right? So I was talking to a chartered accounting firm about, about doing some, some business development and sales um, strategy type work with them. And they were telling me about how, you know, because one of the questions is, what, you know, what, what's a what's a great client for you? What's a fantastic buyer for you? And they were like, well, someone who wants us to do an audit, you know? And I'm like, okay, great. And so then I was talking to a, a, another friend of mine and and he said to me, you know, what, you know, what are you up to? And I said, oh, I'm, you know, we're, we're in discussion with XYZ, um, chartered accounting firm about doing some work with them. And he said, oh, that's really interesting. We spoke to them about doing our audit for the last financial year. And he said, we got three quotes, right? So the old get three quotes. Yeah. And, and he said two of them were, uh, were at, two of them were at 50 grand, right? And these guys were 30. Right, so the guys that I'd been in discussion with were at thirty grand to do the work, mm-hmm. and the other two firms that they spoke to were at fifty grand. So they and, thought, "What's the, wrong with them?" These are his exact words, and he said, "So straight away, we threw the thirty-one away because they were too cheap." Yeah, there must be right. something cutting corners somewhere, desperate yeah, for work. They, they were like, "There's no way in the world they're going to be able to do it for that." They're going to come back with variations. They're going to come back with extra bills. And, and they obviously don't know what they're doing because these other two people see it as as, um, as, as, as more work or it's going to be a more mm. extensive type, type thing. And I actually took that feedback and I said, look, you know, this is, you know, really gratuitous. You know, like I've had this situation where I've had this conversation da, 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 and, um, and, I, and I told them. So, you know, it was like such a classic example. It's like how you can lose work by being 30, by being 20 grand cheaper than your two competitors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how did, I couldn't make that shit up. You know what I mean? Like it's just such a classic example of what you just said, which is sometimes if you're not expensive enough, people don't take you seriously. Yeah, 100%. They, yeah, they think why, like you don't go, some people, you, you don't buy Kmart. Even though it could be equally as good, could do just the same job, but you don't want yeah. that Enco brand. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's and it. The, and they assign meaning to that as well. But a lot of the time, it's like what what corner was cut to be able to do that price? How can you afford to do it if it's that much? Like that's a significant um, percentage difference. So yeah. there's yeah, it makes you ask the questions. Um, they must miss something. Must have missed something. So in that situation then, for, for businesses out there listening, what 
what can they do to try and and figure out what the pricing should be? What what sort of things should they think about? What sort of research should they do? How do they how do they decide how to price? Well, the one of the best places to start is to is to test different offers. Right? So most most businesses they never test anything new. You know, they have their standard garden variety offer that they've been making forever and they never test new offers. So so one of the things that you need is an offer that that you really don't have to sell too hard for people to say yes to because it actually it, it, it solves a problem and it's structured in a way that makes it easy for them to say yes. Mm-hmm. So people think people think an offer is a product and and it's not. It's it's an, an offer is a product. So it, it has a product in it, right? So an offer is a product plus um, plus bonuses plus terms. Mm-hmm. So the, the simplest example I can give you on this is is uh, those infomercials, right? So infomercials, <laughs> so infomercials um, for every ten pilots that they create for an infomercial, they and, and infomercials that you see on on free to air primetime television, they are written by the best copywriters, they are uh, shot by the best cameramen, they are edited by the best editors, right? So for every 10 of those um, infomercials that you see, um, there's, a, there's a certain percentage of those um, that crash and burn. Guess what percentage? 90? 80%. Oh. 80% crash and burn dismally. But what we know about those about those infomercials is that when they change the offer, when they when they say you know you can, you, they could have the, the, you know the price might be like three hundred bucks, but if they say oh you can take care of it in you know four easy instalments of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this offer is not available in store, so call now. You know so you know when no, they that... sounds like you're a voiceover artist as well. <laughs> um, when they do that, it, the conversions go through the roof. So that's an example. So product plus bonuses plus terms. Mm. And the infomercial industry is, is the best example of that because they have to get those things right for it to, for it to really work. How would that work for, I don't know, well, use your um, pneumatics wrench clients as an example. Um, how would that work for someone in that space or my hydraulics engineer trainers? <laughs> yeah. So the, um, so a, a really, so something that we did, right? Because that they sell the actual, they sell the actual tool, the, the pneumatic wrench, and then they service it as well. Mm-hmm. And what they realized is that they weren't getting any of the recalibration or the service work. So what we did is we made an offer that said, hey, you um, included in the purchase price is your first calibration. So why would you want to farm that out? Because Mm -hmm. now you can actually get it recalibrated for free. And then when you get it recalibrated, they can book the next one. So it's a a way that they can get that ongoing uh, cash um, 
you know that that retained value that that back end of yeah. the sale by giving the first one away yeah along so the lifetime value of the customer yeah exactly yeah. so so that's an example of an offer so you know offer is um is product plus bonuses plus terms beautiful and and if you're not playing around with that which most companies don't then you then you'll never stumble across because you know and and looking at the infomercial thing eight out of ten crash and burn so you're going to have to kiss a few frogs to get to a point where you've actually got two that that are actually going to going to work for you on an ongoing basis but if you get a good one mm. um you know it can change the entire maths in your business yeah and so I think, again, I'm just going to circle that back to knowing your customer, because if you don't know your, your customer, you don't know um, their buying behavior or what else you could sell to them, it's going to be make, really hard to make an offer that appeals to them, right? Like, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you know your customer is just, you know, you sell, you sell widgets or you just sell valves, and literally they just want the cheapest price, whatever, and that's the, you can either go after that market or you can go after another market. What else do you think you need to know to profile the ideal customer to be able to package a better offer? Well, you need to have some clarity on on what problems that they're trying to solve. So, you know, I often use the example where if, you know, all, all things being equal, so so all, all things at least being perceived as equal, everyone buys at the lowest possible price. You know, so people always say, oh, you know, price is really important. You know, I'm getting, I'm always getting beaten down on price, getting beaten down on price. And it's like, okay, so all things being equal. So you've got a, you know, you've got a um, uh, Samsung TV, you know, exact same model that's at JB Hi-Fi at Harvey Norman. And if one's five grand, so the one at JB Hi-Fi is five grand, the one at Harvey Norman's like four, which one are you gonna buy? You're gonna buy the one that's four grand. But now, if the one at JB Hi-Fi includes a surround sound speaker package and free installation, it's five grand, but this one's four, now what are you thinking? Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, what is the, you know, what is the problems? What, what are some of the problems that your clients have once they actually buy the thing? Mm. And then what can you bundle in that's, what, what can you bundle into that purchase that has high perceived value, but low hard cost? So in that scenario, JB Hi-Fi might lean on a supplier and get um, a whole bunch of speakers that, that they're either paying really low amounts of money for or not much at all. And they're bundling that in with that purchase to actually justify that $5,000 um, uh, price bracket. And maybe when the installation guy comes in, he can sell something else like home automation or, you know. Up so upgraded there's, there's HDMI cables. Those things are worth a fortune. <laughs> Sorry, what, what was that? Upgraded HDMI cables. They're worth a fortune. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, those, yeah. all those type of things. So, so it's about... You know, really, to to try and ask, answer your question as directly as possible, it it comes down to having some clarity as to, you know, what are some of the things that your buyer is experiencing along the road to making mm. that purchase, and and what are some of the problems that they're going to have 
once they've made the, the purchase, that you can actually support them in fixing so that they get the best outcome possible. And one gearing things, your options around that. One of the things I picked up from that that you said as well was um, maybe looking at where you could partner um, with somebody else. So you said they're like maybe JB Hi-Fi leaned on another supplier to be able to get a discounted. So obviously they're already in partnership because they sell the product, but it is still partnering up and that might be a way for you know, the, the speaker company to get their brand aligned with a better brand of product to help raise that or to get their foot in the door with that customer and create a win-win solution. So where could you leverage off somebody else's business or somebody else's product suite or brand to either elevate your brand or to serve the customer better that then gets you both a win-win with that customer to to increase your, your uh, exposure to them and an opportunity for lifetime value. Yeah, the, the the strategic partnership thing is massive. You know, like there are people that I will speak to their, you know, that they've got co other other coaches that have got big coaching groups, and they'll get me in, and I'll and I'll speak to their people because one, you know, I, I I want to genuinely give value to people so that they can learn things and improve their business, but two, I know that there's a certain percentage of people that are going to come back to me and they're going to say hey, we really liked what you talked about in terms of this thing. Uh, do you reckon you could come and help us with that? And, mm -hmm. and I know that even though that might not happen today or tomorrow or next week, you know, there's a good chance it might happen in three or six or 12 or, you know, and that happens to me all the time. You know, like I, I'll speak, um, you know, for, for in, many, in many ways, you know, lower type fees for people that I know I can add value to their, to, to their clients. So, you know, I guess this is really directly speaking to some of the coaches and consultants that you might have on in, in your um, people who are listening. And, and I know that down the track, if, if I do enough of that, there's a certain um, momentum that, that builds where there's enough people that have seen you, they, they, they've, they've heard you, you know, they, you, you resonate with them, you know, might be a similar philosophy or on the same wavelength or, or whatever. And, and they, they get in contact with you and, and they want to work with you. And that's, you know, that's awesome. I mean, you don't do it like, you don't do it with that in, in your head at the time, but if you do enough of that, and, and, and it's the same thing, you know, you kind of do have to kiss some frogs there, you know, like for every, for every 10 people you speak to, there might only be one or two that you actually end up doing that with in, in a big way. So, I, you know, I've got one strategic partner that I've been working with now for probably about five or six years and um, you know, I've, I've actually become a really important part of of his training curriculum, mm. and I've, I've helped some of his clients to to take their business to incredible places in in terms of their turnover, and it's just such a fantastic symbiotic relationship that I have with him. You know, like he's hired me to do some of his personal stuff, and I've worked with a whole bunch of his top performing guys, and and it's just a great fit. Yeah, so, I've got a very similar situation. I've got uh, another business coach that works mainly with service-based businesses and helps them to uh, have a business, not a job. And what they identified was that if they can't get the people part right and they can't hire the right people, onboard them, keep them, have the right culture and set up the leadership, then all of the other stuff that they teach them that it, they're handicapped and that's not their core skill set. So they're like, 
how about we joint venture you in to do this piece because we can't help them get where we know they need to go because they don't they don't have this piece right and we don't do that piece yeah yeah it's it's you know as we were talking about before i you know i, I reluctantly do that with 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 sales team members for a few of my clients i say reluctantly because of the exact same reason you know like if you don't get the right people on the bus it, it won't matter where you go you're not going to have a very good time Let, let's <laughs> segue into let's segue into that because we were talking before uh and you said reluctantly you you said you were a reluctant recruiter um yeah. and not not in the agency sense and and i say uh I say that I am five years recruitment sober, uh, but I teach people how to. But I teach people how to not have to pay a fifteen thousand dollar fee to recruiters every day. Uh, <laughs> but you were talking through uh, your consultancy business when you when you first started that up, and you know you were going into sales training, but you said the actually the biggest problem was your clients were saying we had we had a systems and processes problem, or we had a sales process problem. But actually, their biggest problem was a hiring problem. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a you know a recruiting problem. You know, and and I, I say this with with um, you know the the most the most love and respect that I can that I can muster. But you know, often you would walk in and you would go, "Why did you hire that person?" Because <laughs> it was you know, a like, warm body. What? They had two feet yeah, and a heartbeat, know. and I had a hole. <laughs> yeah. What, what were you thinking? You know, like what, you know, the, the old Dr. Phil, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, if I push hard enough, this square peg's going in that fucking hole. <laughs> and then the next question, how's that working out for you? <laughs> and it's, it's like this, I'm losing hair. You end up start looking like Dr. Phil, the hair's falling out. Ah, <laughs> uh, so get, let's just, let's talk about that. And specifically, because your genius is sales, let's talk specifically about salespeople and we had a good laugh before this about the the two things you should never do in terms of hire people like you and hire people you like yeah and people like what do you mean but i want to work with people i like explain that sentiment okay so so yeah two two biggest problems um we hire people that we like and we hire people that are like us but neither of those two things have anything to do about whether the person is actually going to succeed in that role. Not, neither of those two things have anything to do with with whether that person is going to succeed in that role. So, or, I, or I, I, be the exact reason why they fail in that role. Yeah. <laughs> Don't totally hire someone right. like me to do your books. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so, so I, I take um, a, a lot of cues. Uh, from the work of a guy called Brad Smart. And he wrote a book called Top Grading. And I listened to a brilliant interview with him uh, a number of years ago. And there was just so much of what he talked about, which was just so on point. And he said that you, he, he said some really cool things. But, the, the, you know, one of the key things that he said was you need to hire for one core competency. So the other, I'm the other this mistake, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the other, the other mistake that people make is that they, they want that they have like the laundry list of, 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 of skills that this particular person has to have. You know, so they have to be able to do this, have to be able to do this. Have to. It's like no, no, no. What is the one core competency that this person needs to have for them to succeed in this role, or, or, pre- or preferably 
in in Australia to excel in this role. You should you should be hiring the single best person in your entire industry for this one particular role. You know, my my whole thing is like, hey, you know, you live in a country where it's actually really expensive to hire someone. Make sure that that person is an absolute superstar for that one core competency. And then you can start to go, okay, well, you know, this is the one core competency that that they need to have. What would also be nice for them to have is for them to be able to do this and for them to be able to do this, but they don't have to be able to do those things. What I have seen, like from 13 years in taking sales job briefs, (laughs) specifically before going into all this, is, oh yeah, it's a sales role. The core competency is sales. Okay, walk me through what you want this salesperson to do. Uh, I want them to create a a prospecting list. They're gonna have to do that themselves. They're gonna have to find find the leads and the numbers, and then they're gonna cold call them. And then once they've cold called them, I want them to manage the process and write the pitch and the presentation and then send them a quote and then follow them up. And then after, yeah, after they've won them, I want them to manage the relationship and nurture them till they die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many jobs you heard in there, but, and different skill types and profiles. and absolute heap of competencies in there. And and it's it's such it's such a common mistake. And the other the other common mistake is is uh, you know I've been I've been running this business and I've been uh, I've been converting clients that are typically through my network. So there so it, you know there's a, there's a warm network that I've that I've been and a using brand. to generate business and a brand and the positioning of me being the boss, right? Mm-hmm. And now I hire someone. And I don't, I've never captured what I actually do. I don't, so I don't have a process I can teach somebody. Um, no, because I'll just turn up and be me. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? And, and there's, there's a whole bunch of things that in a sales context, you actually can't get away with saying if you're not the owner. There's a whole bunch of things that the owner can get away with saying in a sales context that, that somebody else in that role simply can't do, right? So, so they, they haven't got a process. They haven't captured what they do. Um, they're not spending any money on marketing and then they hire this person and hey, you've got to do the whole thing. You know, you've got a cold call, you've got to generate your own leads, you've got to go see. It's like, wow, no wonder so many people crash and burn. And and I've seen it happen so many times where they'll call me in and they'll go, hey, we had this guy, we paid him 150 grand. And he sucked. We had him for 12 months and he didn't sell a cracker. And it's like, what were you, you know, again, (laughs) Dr. Phil, what were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) How did you expect this person to succeed? You know, you didn't have any of the tools in place. You didn't have any of the structures in place. Um, he's probably not even the right guy for the job. So you probably didn't even take him through a process where you could actually select him with any real science or, or intelligence. Um, and now you no, but he him. used to work for one of the direct comp- like one of the competitors that we want to be like. That's five oh, times our size. Spend ten thousand, yeah. ten times the amount on marketing. And like, he was their top salesperson though. Yeah. Why isn't he good for us? Which means (laughs) that he was probably an order taker. (laughs) Because he had a marketing machine behind him pulling in things and a team that delivered, like maybe he just did the calls and the rest of the team picked up the stuff. And yeah, this, the, the amount of conversations I've had with people like that is mind boggling. And, And it's incredible where, 
you have somebody who perhaps you know possessed two or, or you know they were a unicorn and they possessed two or three of those those core competencies and then that person leaves how many times have you seen it happen where they re- they actually don't replace that person they actually get three people to replace that role yeah because that person was such a unicorn that they could do three competencies really well and and now that person's gone and it's like oh yeah nah we it's like there isn't actually isn't anyone else on the planet that actually has those three core competencies. We have to hire someone who's good at this, then we have to hire someone who's good at this, and we have to hire someone who's good at this as well. And when it comes to sales, sometimes that, that core competency goes back to, like we said about the business owner, it's about that person's personal brand and network. Yep. So they don't have to work as hard as somebody else that you might bring in because their brand, their personal brand has done the heavy lifting for them. Just yeah. like you're, Just like if you're the owner, your personal brand has done the heavy heavy lifting for you. And and I think this goes back to one, I, maybe it was point one of your leaky bucket. Like, what is your message saying to the market? Yeah. And yeah. How, how, do you, how do you show up? Because there's a, there's a critical mass that, that, you know, that, that kicks in when, when you've been doing something for a certain period of time. So in, in coaching, it actually takes a long time, you know, for you to get to a point where, you actually don't have to really um, hustle to get your next client. Mm. It actually takes a long time to get to a point where your personal brand is such and you've worked with enough people that have had a great result that have then left that company and gone to another company and there's this critical mass that builds up where Mm. it's like, oh, hey, I was was at such and such um, company when you worked there and now I've gone out on my own and I want to do something similar. Can you come and talk to me? Or now I'm the sales manager at this other company and, um, you know, I want you to come in and do the same thing that you did for that company. You know, it's, it, it just there's a, has to be enough of that water that goes under the bridge for you to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, I mean, if you can find somebody that's got that, that type personal brand, but the core competency that they've got is a fit for where you're at and what you actually need, in your business, then that'll probably work. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's a big step, you know, to go from owner doing all the sales, all on repeat business and referrals to someone brand new doing all the sales who has not got the credibility of the owner and hasn't got, um, all of those core competencies, it's a big leap. Some of the, some of the things that I've um, worked with clients on, not only in my coaching business, but back in my recruitment business, when I've helped the, those sort of small to medium step up and the business owner deleverage themselves is to start with how can you integrate a salesperson into part of your process? So you're not doing the whole process yourself. So you're freeing up some time and then start doing those systems and processes while you're doing it so that you can figure out and even just having someone shadow you to figure out because sometimes when you're doing it you don't even know what your own magic is you don't know what it was that that worked because you do it so unconsciously having an observer i i did this with um having recruitment consultants shadow me to because it came natural for me and then they shadowed and they're like oh it was actually this bit that you did or that bit that you did and then it was that and you're like oh Okay, cool. Let's systemize that. 
But then thinking about, consciously thinking about if you're going to push a salesperson forward in front of, like, instead of you, how do you help build their brand in the marketplace? And I think uh, I reference this book a lot in this podcast, but um, The Alliance by the LinkedIn Mm -hmm. co-founders, they they really thought about part of the trade, the alliance and having someone come and do a tour of duty with them and why they should choose to work for LinkedIn. The, Mm -hmm. The sweetness of them was, that LinkedIn would actively help them build their personal brand and their yep. reputation so that they could move on to, ideally they moved on to something else within the business, but even if they moved into something outside of the business, they might come back. But that was part of the deal. It wasn't just, well, I'm going to trade you time for money. I'm going to help build your brand. Yeah. And if you look after those people, they stay or they come back or they refer business because they go out into the marketplace. But if you're not willing to help build the brand of your salesperson and their reputation and actively invest in that, then you you better hope that you've got a really good, uh, simple business model that you can just pump money behind ads and people click buttons yeah. and buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. Um, so yeah, I just... Keep going. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I no, I was gonna, I was gonna segue, um, but before before I segue, um, mm-hmm. just wanted to touch on your. You said that there was a some a predictor of potential, but you called it something else. Um, oh, the pop, pop six, yeah. The pop six, that, mm-hmm. um, which I like. Guys that um, do work with me know I'm really into profiling. I do a lot of stuff with talent dynamics and wealth dynamics. And, you know, I've done every profiling system under the sun being with my background, but I'd never heard of this. Mm. And it's specifically for salespeople. It is. (laughs) Tell me about it and tell me why. Even just, even if it's not this, what people should be doing to scientifically predict the success of a person rather than going on that gut feel and that unconscious bias that we talked about. Yeah, so so it can be used in a couple of different ways. The 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 most um, common or immediate use for it is if you are in a situation where you're about to hire somebody and you're say down to your last, you know, your short list of like two or three people, as a as a way to to, to really feel confident with your choice, uh, getting them to complete this profile will be a key tool that you can use to work out if they're actually going to work out with you or not. So, so what it gives you is how strong are they going to be in prospecting? How strong are they going to be in learning? How strong are they going to be with dealing with rejection? How hard are they going to close? How um, coachable are they going to be? So it gives them either like a, a like a, a green, a orange or a red. So obviously red caution, orange, you know, they're going to probably going to be okay. Uh, green is, is all good. So, so you can use it as a recruiting tool, but what you can also use it for is if you've got a great salesperson, get them to complete this thing and you can use that as a template to compare who you actually have uh, uh, apply for the job or, or apply, apply for, the, for similar roles like in, a benchmarking in, tool in the, in the future, yeah. So you can benchmark what you know what a great performer because we've got evidence of that. This person's great; they're selling heaps of stuff, and now we can compare that to anyone else who applies, 
because you know they're birds of a feather flock together. If one person's got a similar profile, then the other ones are likely to, um, you know, to, to be good as well. Would you hang your hat on it entirely? No way. But but it, it's a really useful tool that you can use to hedge your bets, and you're bringing some science to the pro, to the process rather than, oh, you know, gut feel. I like them. <laughs> they said the right things. Uh, all salespeople, right? Good, they had a good resume. You know, they they cherry picked. Um, you know, all of the uh, references. <laughs> yeah. know, there's a there's a big a big hole in their resume where, um, you know, they said they were still employed by X Y Z, but they actually weren't. <laughs> yeah. That old chestnut. So uh, so the- it's it's a it's a and it also gives you some insights as to how you can actually coach and mentor them as well. Mm. Where are they going to need coaching, mentoring, and encouragement um, to make sure that you're actually bringing out the best in them? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've I've had, and then the other one, the other, I, the other way that I've had people use that is I actually had a lady who uh, I've known for a long time and um, have done you know, lots of business with her over the years. And she hired this person and she said to me, oh, look, you know, can you do a training with her? And so she, I, she went through my professional sales masterclass. And then I rang up a couple of weeks later and I said, you know, how's it going? You know, is she, how's, she, how's she performing? And she said, oh, you know, hasn't really changed. You know, if anything, she's sort of pretty much stayed the same or might have gotten a bit worse. And I said, well, you know, similar, similar to our conversation previously, I said, you sure she's the right person for the job? And so we got her to, to do this profile and sure enough, it came back and it was like, wow, you should so not have hired this person. <laughs> it was, she was lovely. She was a you know, lovely girl. Um, she was super um, you know, personable. If, if anything, she would have been great. Um, she would have been a great account manager. So yeah, you know, Customer one- service. When I heard she's lovely, really personable. Yeah. Amazing relationship manager, terrible yes. door knocker. <laughs> yeah, because because people are either you know they fall into the, one of those two categories. They're either a hunter, or they are a farmer. Yeah. And you know the, the the hunter is a certain type of personality, and the farmer is a certain personality. You know? mm-hmm. So information that would have been great before she hired her, but you know that for her was um, was you know a, a clear message that she needed to to reallocate this lady to another part of the business, which she did. And um, and now she's got somebody else in that role, which is great. And I'm sure that that girl is far more happy doing her job oh. in something oh. that's in flow. That's it. You know, there's nothing okay. worse, you know, for for a salesperson to be, you know, in a role for three or six months and to have not sold anything. It's soul destroying. Oh, soul destroying. Yeah. Yeah. Gut wrenching. Gut wrenching. Um, yeah. I'm go- I'm going to take my segue now, and it's actually going to to go. A little deep. Um, it's actually something you shared with me earlier. You said you're not sure, not sure if it belongs in the podcast. And I asked you if it was okay to go here anyway, mm-hmm. specifically because of the challenging times that we're recording this podcast in, being that it's COVID and uh, in New South Wales right now they're in pretty hard lockdowns and um, it's it's making business challenging. It's making home life challenging. Um, but you shared a story with me about something that I is so challenging that I can't. It's it's hard for me to get my brain around. And it, when it, when you first started, or when you had this um this business, and your wife had actually suggested that you went into doing the training and change into the scope, and 
um, you just had a, a brand new baby. Do you, do you mind sharing this story for us? And specifically, I ask you to share this so that people can, A, have maybe a bit of attitude of gratitude for where they're at, but also just to learn some of your lessons um, of grit and determination and balance and you, you, you take the floor on it. Yeah, sure. So, uh, it, it was, it's been over 10 years now. So it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's long enough ago that, um, you know, it does, it, it's not really raw for me to, for me to talk about. Um, you know, I, I think if I really examine certain parts of it, you know, that, 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 that it would probably get raw, but it, you know, I, I can talk about it very, very um, openly now and, and have it not really worry me too much because, you know, life has moved on. You know, like I, I met somebody um, and we've, we've now, uh, I've now remarried. The kids have now got a mum. And um, what happened 10 years ago is that when my son was five months old and my daughter was three and a half, my, my first wife, who was actually the one that I suggested that I set up this business, um, she passed away from melanoma. So she had a mole on her back and the mole was removed. It came back as, um, as a melanoma. She had a larger section uh, removed and for two and a half years, she was fine. She was, she was, you know, no problem at all. But then she fell pregnant with my son and pregnancy does very radical things to a woman's body as, as, as any woman and, and, and any man would know as well. And it just, for whatever reason, created an environment where this thing just took hold. And um, she had tumors in her liver, spine, lungs, and as it turned out, a whole bunch in her, in her brain. And she was diagnosed and was given between six and nine months to live. And she actually passed away within nine weeks. It was, it was that fast. So she was just here, literally here one day and gone, um, you know, nine weeks later and just didn't really have a chance to get anything in place or really properly say goodbye to anybody and, and she was gone. So, you know, here I was with a five-month-old son and a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and, uh, you know, what I didn't talk about is, is that within, that, within a 14-week period, because I had a business partner at the time, I, uh, I resolved the partnership with him. So that was a, you know, a legal kind of thing that we had to go through and, and, and we've popped out the other end and, you know, we're, we're on talking terms now, so that's good. <laughs> um, but I, I was living in Margaret river. So I had the office in Margaret river for the business and I had my home in, um, in Margaret river. So I had to move office, move, um, the whole family back up to Perth which is four hours north. And I also had uh, the had to dissolve the partnership and had to launch a new brand. And I had and I also had to put childcare in place for the kids because I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to continue doing the business. I didn't really have any choice. I had to, you know, I still had to earn an income, you know, got, mm. got mortgages and cars and the kids to bring up. So I had all of that, all of that take place in, in over a 14 week period. It was just like, it was literally like getting 
bombed every day for, I mean, it, and it wasn't just the three, you know, it wasn't just the 14 weeks, you know, it, I mean, that was the, the intense bit, but, you know, it, it was, was an absolute shit fight for about three years, just trying to, you know, balance everything. You know, I had, I was paying nannies, um, total of about 40 hours a week, you know, all in after tax dollars. So, um, uh. is, you know, I had this choice where, Hey, you know, you just put your son in full-time, put your baby in full-time daycare. It's like, no, no way. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let that happen. You know, mm. he, he needs to have, he needs to have somebody to look after him. He needs, he needs to have somebody, you know, he just needs to feel love, you know, a, a, as a baby, because none of this is his fault. Mm. You know? So, um, yeah, so that, that was full on. That was a very, very, you know, that was, it's one of those things that you look back on and you go, how the fuck did I pull that off? <laughs> yeah. Like... How the fuck did you pull that off? What, what, a, <laughs> like, is there anything that, anything that you, like you can point to that helped get you through? Was there any practices that you did? Like any tools that you used to, to see you through that? Yeah, heaps. Um, so, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll send you a link because I wrote about it about a year after I wrote about it. And, and I, and I put, I just wrote uh, the, all the steps that I went through to, to, to get over it. And oh. um, so, so I'll send the link. So if there's anyone that's interested, they I would can, love they that. Can. But the, but really the, the big rocks, are, the first one is, um, if I was, so if I was to share the really big rocks, the first one is you need to know that you, you, you don't get sent a challenge that you can't solve, right? So my, I remember my, um, my cousin saying to me, he said to me, because he's this like super spiritual guy, speaks fluent Japanese, he's like a Tai Chi master, black belt in sword, you know, he's got a... Um, Japanese sensei and you know he's just an incredibly spiritual guy and and I and I remember talking to him about it and he said to me he said to me so you know out of out of all the people that you know who is better equipped to be able to deal with this than you Hmm. and I said I can't think of anyone because you know I've done a a stack of personal development, you know, like just heaps of personal development, read heaps of books, you know, studied a heap of psychology. You know, I've just got lots of those type of, you know, I guess coping skills, you know, yeah. just through my own reading and study and and uh, and um, research and um, and and I said I can't think of anyone. And he said, well, that's why, <laughs> that's why it's happened. You know, mm. it's it's. And, and then the other thing he said to me is, is how are things going before? And I said, great. I was living in Margaret River, right, living in, um, in Preveley and literally three-minute walk from, from Gas Bay, Narrabup, you know, certain point. And things were, like, fantastic, running this consulting business, heaps of clients. And he's like, you know, how, how is everything going before this? And I said, well, everything was going great. And he said, well, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a test. You know, you, you get sent tests in your life. 
And I know that you you were sent a test with your accident. You know, that's, that, that sounded like a huge test. So, you know, we all get sent these things. But but the the other point was that you know we don't get set we don't get sent a test that we that we aren't that we don't have mm. the ability to be able to pop out the other end of mm. and, uh, and you know and I think a good example of that is you know any if if you know anyone that's got like twins or triplets you know <laughs> I, I mean? know a it's, couple of friends yeah right it's a certain type of mum that gets sent twins or triplets yeah you know what I mean and because you think of some mums that you know. And it's like, if that mum got sent twins or triplets, <laughs> she'd be, she would not last five seconds. Yeah. You know, but it's the cruisy kind of, you know, they just have the capacity just... to be able to do with it, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's the way that, that, you know, that's the way of things. You know, we don't get sent, a, we don't, we don't get sent a challenge that we don't have the capacity to be able to deal with. But the, um, so that's one of the big rocks. The second one is, um, you know, at, at the end of the storm, there's always green water. Mm. You know, the, 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 there are storms in life, but the storms don't last forever. It's that whole, you know, this this too shall pass thing. Yes. <laughs> and and so there's that, and and there's about about another sixteen different things that I, that I highlighted. But but that's the they're the, the the two I think the two big rocks. You know, we we don't get sent a we don't get sent a challenge that we don't have the ability to be able to resolve. And the second one is you know, at the end of every storm, there's there's always you know, calm, calm, blue you know blue water. You know, it's, yeah. it's always it's always or green water. It's all it's always going to happen like that. But the other thing is, um, the other thing that really helped me was, I really simplified my life. You know what I mean? I just got rid of the clutter. You know, I, I sold properties that. You know that that I that I didn't need to hang on to. I just really consolidated a lot of things, mm-hmm. and then and then once I'd kind of done that, you know, once I'd sort of gone through all that, and I was like, it's that that classic that quote out of Fight Club, um, which which is um, it's only once you've lost everything that you're free to do anything. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like this is a blank canvas. You know, like I I can choose to go in any direction that I want. You know, I don't have to stay with the coaching business. I wanted to, so I did, but I could have actually gone in any direction. But knowing direction. you have freedom of choice then as well. Yes, yes. So it was like, you know, now, you know, I, I'm unencumbered. I, I can pretty much do whatever I want. No one's, you know, no one's going to really have a crack at me, um, you know. And, and there's and there's also an inner strength that you get that you don't really bank on. Mm. You know, you, you, you get sent this strength i don't know where it comes from and it's hard to describe but you you're a lot stronger and more resilient than what you probably give yourself credit for um so that you know that that really helped but but one thing that i didn't mention which is probably the most crucial step is you've you've got to deal with the reality of what's happening Mm. you know so, so my mantra my mantra right from and, and this was right from the moment that I that I found out that she was terminal because because I, I found that out my, you know my mantra was was okay I need to get I need to get used to the idea that I am going to be responsible for bringing up these two kids on my own you know it's like 
the, it was just that was just the thing that I just kept repeating to myself over and over again. I was going, oh, this is this is my life now. This is what I've got to do. You know, other things are going to be happening to other people, but this is my thing. This is the thing that I've got to do, and this is what I've got to get comfortable with. This is what I've got to deal with, and this is what I've got to now start to look for the positives in. You know, what what are the positives? And then and and then if you start looking for the positives, which takes a while <laughs> in that situation. Yeah. But once you start looking for those positives, you actually start to spot them. And, and yeah. it, it took a while. It took a long time. It was the hardest conversation to have. I mean, these are all things happening in my own head. But but once I once I discovered them, that you know, there actually were some positives. You know, it's like okay, well, you know, I'm going to have a bigger, I'm going to have a bigger influence in these kids' lives than what I would have if if because you know our family was a very traditional type model. You know, I was out doing the consulting thing. I had 80% of my clients on the East Coast. I was on planes every two weeks. So now I'm going to have a much bigger say in, in an influence into how these kids grow up. Mm. Um, uh, you know, there was, there was that. There was, um, you know, oh, the other thing from a business model, it was like, okay, I'm not going to do any East Coast travel. So this was when you could still jump on planes. So I went from doing <laughs> 80, 80%, 80% of my client on the East Coast to... I'm not going to accept any clients on the East Coast. This was also before... Um, before Zoom. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was before video. Yeah. No? Um, so it's like, I'm not going to accept any East Coast work. It's only going to be Perth. And then I, and the other, my other one was, um, it's minimum five grand a month and I'm only accepting six clients. Yeah. <laughs> and that was brilliant. It was like, okay, I'm clear, you know. That's all, and, and I and I was never going to do more than th- more than three client-facing days per week. So I would have a long weekend every week, and and that may and, and obviously one of the big things was make sure I got time to go surfing. Yes, <laughs> like heaps of time to go surfing. Yeah, well, because knowing that a you were you sponsored as a young tacker, you started your career as a rep in the surfing game, you built an agency around surfing. Surfing is obviously part of who you who you are at a soul level. Yeah. And yeah, if you were to let that go due to the other responsibility and due to necessity or perceived necessity, I'm sure that a lot of you would have got lost and a lot of your ability to show up for your kids would have been diminished. Yeah. And and that, you know, you mentioned you saw some of the some of the um, mentality shots. That that first trip to the Mentawis, which I think, I think that was in about two thousand. Well, I I went once before she passed away, but I've been twice since she passed away. But that first trip to the Mentawis after she passed away, that was such a monumental victory over the past. That was like, you know, that was so significant for me because I was just in this in this um, place where I was just like, wow, I'm just not going to be able to do any of that anymore, you know. Mm. So for me to have been able to get over there for 12 days, um, you know, with a whole bunch of mates and, and, and go surfing in the Mets for, for that time, um, given what had happened, that was, that was huge. And that was something that I'd been, you know, planning and working toward. And because of my set of circumstances, it was such a massive, massive thing for me to... So having that goal to work toward... Um, also, was was a was a pretty. Pull you forward. Thing. Like I said, there, there, there are so many lessons, and I'll, I'll give you the URL to the 
to the blog that I wrote about it. Um, yeah, I would I, love I, that. I've sent it to, you know, I've kind of been a bit of a sniper with it. Like I'll see somebody on, on that I know that, you know, on Facebook that's going through some stuff and um, and I'll, I'll I'll flick it through to them. And I've, I've had some incredible, um, I've had some incredible feedback on it. it. You know, people have got gotten a stack of value out of it. Oh, I'd love to share that. Thank you. We'll make sure that's in the show notes wherever you're uh, watching this. If it's not directly below the link or if it's under the highlights, just uh, message and ask for the blog and I'll make sure that we get it to you. Um, So can you just, before I'm going to ask you about spaghetti leg ropes in Western Barwa in a second (laughs) to end, but I just wanted to know, you said you did a whole lot of... um, You've done a whole lot of work beforehand. You're probably still doing um, some personal growth and development during that time to build up your resilience. Is there any specific books or uh, podcasts or quests or anything that you've done that you think helped you specifically to be able to be the person you needed to be or to deal with the, the tragedy and come out the other side? Yeah, so look, I've I've read a stack of books, um, and, and they've all been you know super useful. Um, you know, a- anything from, uh, in fact, one of Wayne Dyer's uh, original books called Your Erroneous Zones, which I think is still in print. Um, I, I read that when I was thirteen, and that that could have you know sort of helped me put a really good foundation in place. So that that was that that was huge for me. Um, oh, a, a friend of mine gave me this book called How to Talk to a Widower. <laughs> Which, which at the time I thought was actually quite insensitive, but the, the book was actually really good. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I read it and I, I actually got a lot out of it. So that, I, I found that good. But, but the thing that, um, that I found really useful and, and it's, it's a, there's a stigma around it, and especially with guys, you know, they don't like to, um, you know, that, that they, they tend to bury things and they don't want to talk about them. Mm-hmm. And, one of the most useful things for me is that I went and saw a psych, you know, like I, I, I didn't, thankfully I didn't feel myself sort of, you know, slipping into like, you know, deep amounts of depression or anything. But, um, you know, if, if you feel yourself starting to slide into a hole, go and talk to someone and, and talking to your mates is, is one level and that's useful. But, you know, talking to somebody who's actually good at talking to people that are going through stuff, like, you know, and I see things on social media. You know, the ice bucket challenge and the push-up challenge, and you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a challenge and film myself and post it on social media. It's, okay, well, you know, that's good. You know, raise some awareness, but um, you know, you've if you it's got, mainly raising your personal brand. Well, is that you know? But the, but there's stuff bouncing around in your head that you probably just need to get out. You need to get mm. that shit out. You know, talk to somebody. Talk you to need, somebody. Sometimes you need someone to facilitate it out because often, sometimes we don't. Like I had a session with my psych the other day and the, I, it was actually a sales fear and she was able to pinpoint, like she helped me follow the breadcrumbs to what it, what it was. It was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. So even something simple like that, I, um, I'd say most of the male guests that I've had on this show that have had and nearly every single one of them have had some sort of adversity, which is hmm. why they're on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the key things that they say. So important. I mean, it's it's not like I'm, you know, going and seeing this guy once a week. You know, I've, I've in the last ten years, I've seen him six times. Hmm. You know, 
I went twice before um, she died, part, twice after, and then twice for two other things that I wanted to have a chat to him about. Um, and that was all I needed, you know. It was all I felt I needed. It was all I... And when I went and saw him the first time and I told him all the shit that was going on, he was he's like, well, shit, I know. Wow. <laughs> like, like, I can... I know why you're here. <laughs> kind of, you know, he was like, wow, this is, that's a lot of shit you got to deal with, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I just think that there's, there's still a stigma around it. You know, mm. guys don't want to talk about it. You know, they, they want to be stoic and they want to be stiff up a lip. And I think there's, there's certainly a place for that. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I would, inc- you know, rather than saying read this book, I'd say, you know, if, if you're going through some shit, find someone that's t- to talk to and, and be prepared to go through two or three different psychs before you find one that's a good fit for you. That's the other, yeah. the, the other advice, you know. Because yeah. they need to be, they need to be the right fit philosophically. They need to be the right fit um, from a personality perspective, mm-hmm. and and try to go to one that's not going to prescribe you a whole bunch of happy pills. You know, go go to a psychotherapist that's actually going to work you through stuff, rather than one that's just going to write, yeah, write you out yeah. a script. Get, you know, get the go through the process first. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take happy pills, um, because sometimes that can be an appropriate thing but try and work through it first yeah don't take i think sometimes people take that as the easy route um and if you just it's kind of still hiding from it right that might be a short-term fix um but but chances are it's a long-term problem that you've had that you need to to unload and and work through and yeah yeah, just understanding the figuring out what the triggers were and, and how that makes you behave is extremely fascinating and beneficial not only for getting over what you're dealing with right then but to know how you can harness your own superpowers or what's holding you back in other areas of your life too yeah it can it can take you to a whole you know a whole other level of awareness you know in terms of your understanding of yourself what makes you tick what motivates you and um you know if you can sort that out then you know you can clear the way and, and and really accelerate a lot of different areas of your life for sure yeah maybe they should repackage it as a it's a baggage coach like if you're a business owner just go relabel it as a a baggage coach for your business it's like gonna help you unload all your baggage and and work through things so that you can be lighter and and perform better (laughs) yeah Yeah. if that helps you get through yeah yeah exactly exactly so let's let's end on a lesson and tell me tell me what you learnt uh, after you finally uh, got up, got got up the courage to to get out there in twelve foot surf in West Sembawa, oh, when God. you when you were kind of sitting there for two days, going, ah, uh, not sure this was the trip I signed up for. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, the first the, the first lesson is like bring a big wave leg rope. <laughs> <laughs> so the lesson there is always be prepared yes. and. And uh, think, what would that be? That would be, yeah, prepare for the unknown. Always have your backup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know, do your research. You know, like I had this picture in my head about what it was going to be like, um, <laughs> and it, and it actually didn't end up being like that. You know, so it's like you know, actually do some research as to what it's what, what you know what the surf's actually likely to be likely to be like when you get there because because i was i was undergunned i didn't have the right you know i didn't really have the right equipment i definitely didn't have the right leg ropes 
Um, but, you know, in the end, we made do and it was fine, you know. But, but um, yeah, that first day when we rocked up and it was 12 foot, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> what's what's hilarious is i've got our screen i've got i've got the big tv that i've used as a monitor and i've got our little screen here and Mm -hmm. the my wall desktop is actually a picture from the ments from my first trip and it's just it's the the swell of the season arrived oh wow yeah for the week of my birthday my first trip to the ments yeah. And I have zero business being in Swell of the Season. I probably had zero <laughs> business being in the Mints in the first place. And so the shot is this epic shot and I'm actually just off, like I just had to get in the water. So I'm like, if you zoom out, I'm paddling on the on the shoulder, just looking down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty close well, to the boat. That's the best place to start. You know, being amongst it, being amongst it, yeah. What, what... What was the le- what was the lessons or the learnings or the tools that you drew on? Because you said to me that every day you kind of like had to you know psych yourself up to 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 face face the fear and, and to to do it anyway. Yeah, like I, I you know I, it's like you know do the thing that you fear most and you and you conquer fear. So you know you've just got to keep pushing yourself into into that that um, that comfort zone. Um, and then once you know, once you once you've desensitized yourself to that, that's the that's a good place to progress from uh, each each time. And you know, and if you can just peg that back a little bit each time, then and, and you could apply that to speaking. You could apply it to you know, speaking in front of groups of people. You could apply that to sales. You could apply that to all sorts of things. You know, we we you, you got to test things. You got to you know. You always, you can always go, you can always go further than what you think you can, you know, mm. and to, we, we tend to say no to ourselves before anyone else says no to us. Oh, I think that's the mic drop moment. There it is right there. <laughs> we tend to say no to ourselves before anyone else does. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I am so grateful for everything you shared today and the fact that you were willing to be vulnerable with us and and share from your story so other people can learn as well. Now, you did say you had a gift that you were going to give everyone, like, um, and I'll make sure we put the link into the um, into the comments. But you, I think you said it was on JohnBlakeAudio.com. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So if you type that into the into your um, into the navigation bar that should come up, and that is that is that that will actually help you solve leverage point number six, uh, which is the follow up process. Amazing! So, so, so you'll get actually get my entire framework and training on how to, how to actually tackle the, the follow up process. So that that is um, super awesome. We'll make sure if you comment the word blog below wherever you see this, if you need the link and you haven't found it in the show notes for those 16 steps to how to deal with the worst thing you could probably imagine. Uh, we'll get that to you as well. And just lastly, whereabouts do people find you to connect on socials or anything like that? Um, if you, the, the best place to start is if you just Google John Blake sales and I will come up on the first page. And then you can navigate to all this, all the different socials from there. But I mean, if you just type in, you know, um, John Blake sales breakthrough on Facebook. Um, but like I said, all of the links to all the socials are on, are on my website as well as 
all of my podcast episodes and there's a whole bunch of other free resources and frameworks and, and things that really relate to those three problems that we talked about. So controlling your message, connecting with your ideal clients and converting more of the leads that you get into paying clients. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, right. guys. As Thank always, you. if you've gained any knowledge out of this or you know anyone that could need some help fixing their leaky sales funnel, getting those seven holes fixed or just a bit of support in going through some of the shit that they're going through right now, make sure you tag them in this episode or share it to their socials. Thanks very much, guys. We're out. Have a great day. Hey there, Barrel Chasing business owners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value out of today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.